Boom. Good morning. Good morning. On today's podcast, I have special guest RJ Singh. RJ is a speaker, business builder, and competitive endurance athlete. He is the founder of Ultra Habits. And on today's show, we dive into learning from life's lessons, even when they are painful, and how they can transform you. Have a listen. Welcome to your Hidden Edge podcast, where there's a belief that each and every one of us has a hidden edge, one that could unlock that next level of success in any area of life. Unfortunately, that edge is hidden, tucked away and buried deep underneath layers and layers. In this podcast, we'll uncover the hidden edge of high-performance leaders, executives, athletes, coaches, and authors to open your mind and stretch your frame of reality. If you know you want more, can do more, and be more, then this is the right podcast for you. Let's uncover your hidden edge. Welcome to the show. I am extremely excited to have special guest RJ Singh on the show. RJ, welcome to the show. Wow, what an amazing introduction. Like I, I literally wanted to jump out of the chair right now and start doing push-ups. That thing was off its head. How good was that introduction? <laughs> Oh, thanks, man. I, I greatly appreciate it. And that's that's one of the things like I love energy and I know we're going to have such a fantastic discussion today. And it's all about raising the awareness for others, right, of, of what's an edge that they can leverage and use in life to step into the greatest version of themselves. So let's let's get right into your edge. I love hitting hard right off the bat. Then we'll do a little backstory. And I know we'll organically go to to some great places. So, you know, your edge as far as making the connection between your experiences and then applying the lessons and, and the power of habits. would love to just hear what that means from you and share it with the audience. Yeah, man. Uh, so thank you for having me first off, Jeff. Um, really, really uh, resonate with what you do. Um, and yeah, we had a really good conversation the other day. So so for me, I'll unpack what that that comment means. I think we all have a deep well uh, a deep reserve of what i would call our experiences and how we view those experiences differ from person to person some people have the ability to view that deep well of experience as a um, a platform that they could leverage um, in all areas of their life so drawing on those experiences those illustrative examples of overcoming of when we were resilient, when we were able to push through, when we were able to figure shit out, when we were able to overcome and then apply that to other areas of our lives. And, and that ability to, to, to do that, the ability to draw on that deep well or that reserve of experience is a habit. And it's a, 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 it's a psychological frame, right? So it's not a physicality piece. It's 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 the ability to um, your psychology in a way, use your visioning in a way to relate where you've been before to the situation in front of you, and then draw upon that to to do what you need to do to just get shit done. That's a superpower, um, and unfortunately, not a lot of people have that. Like you see, high performers, or let's maybe they're workaholics, but um, for the sake of this conversation, let's call them high performers at work, where their output, their their skill and their craft is remarkable. They're very good at navigating their craft, but they're like severely overweight right. or they've got dysfunction in other areas. They haven't been able to make the connection between what 
makes them great in the behaviors that they're leveraging in their craft to other areas in their life. They've compartmentalized their success. Um, and there's a lot of that. And I think we need to probably redefine what success looks like and what high performance looks like. But the ability to um, draw upon your experience and then um, leverage, uh, I suppose, adaptability in different circumstances and different domains in your life, that's, that's a, that's, that takes skill, but that's a superpower for sure. I love it. And I love how you said the ability to call on that experience, call on maybe a deep, dark time. Maybe it was a success and, and leverage that in certain areas because I definitely see it where people are crushing it at work, but they're 60 pounds overweight or they come home and they abuse alcohol and they can't stand their family or their wife can't stand them. Their kids can't stand them. And there's just that, that disconnect between crushing it in one area and then being at that peak level in other areas. So, you know, that being said, how did you discover, come up with it? I know you had some dark periods in, in your life. How, how did you really uncover this and then lean into it yourself? Yeah. I'll answer that question. I'll, I'll, um, I'll preface it with this based on the, what we've just talked about. What could look like high performance to some people is really an individual running away from. So there's really two positions that make people good at something. They're either got an attitude of running towards something with passion and enthusiasm and curiosity, or they're running away from other shit. Mm. And through running away from other stuff, they, 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 they focus on certain things that make them feel better. And they may look very good at it, but it's coming from a very dark place. And that's why in other areas of their life, they don't have that level of performance because they're not, their, their, their performance is driven in that one domain through fear or insecurity or a need to feel better. It's not a positive energy that's making them good at what they do. Hence why they can't replicate that generally across other areas of their lives. Now I uncovered all this stuff through my own, like I'm a practitioner like you, Jeff, like I'm not an yeah. academic I'm, I'm an academic person, but I'm not an academic. I was a you know hardcore addict, um, methamphetamine, very young, got caught up in the, the meth wave um, in the early mid-90s. I was in school, okay. in high school in California, you know, very close to the Mexican border. You know, meth took um, the streets by, by storm, you know, grew up in a, in a working class um, and then middle class family. But I don't think any of us, you know, we were, I was 17 at the time when I became addicted to meth. Um, like that's a really hard drug and like, like, you know, for someone that's that young, you know, our brains aren't formed. Methamphetamine is a euphoria of a next level, right? Like it, it is a very, very euphoric high. Um, and I was always kind of predisposed, predisposed to addiction. Like I was already drinking alcoholically. I did everything addictively. Like I was an excellent athlete. I was in the Olympic development program in soccer, back in California. So I, I didn't do anything by half measures. And when I, alcohol was my first like discovery that really opened up my spirit. But when I did methamphetamine, I, it took me out. And within six months, I was almost, um, you know, I ended up in the hospital for um, pneumonia. I was super skinny. 
I was already, um, you know, I'd already um, gotten in trouble with the law. Okay. Um, you know, it was just it, it, within a year, it was just, I was in a really bad way. And by the time I was 18, I was already locked up. And I mean, that, that was the, that was a trajectory of um, violence. Um, and then I realized I, to control my addiction, I needed to sell drugs and I was pretty good at it. Um, and then that took me into the subculture of crime. So then I adopted criminal uh, behaviors, um, okay. you know, and, and, and that's how I lived until I was 26, bro. Um, wow. uh, and, um, and, uh, so that was my darkness. Um, mm -hmm. ultimately at 26, the United States government, uh, did not want to renew my green card. I'd never become a naturalized citizen, although I lived there from the age of three. And then okay. that, um, that kind of, uh, began the journey of, uh, me leaving the country to come here to Australia. Wow. Power. I mean, amazing backstory to where you're at now, right? Ultra yeah. athlete habits, all those pieces. So I appreciate you sharing and, and being vulnerable that, that backstory, yeah. because that gives so much more credence and value to what we're going to talk about. So 26 back to Australia had been yeah. in and out of, of prison on drugs, selling drugs, dark, deep, period in your life how'd you begin to chip away and come out of it yeah <clears throat> and and connect those kind of dots to where you're at now yeah you know working with companies podcasting yeah. all those things yeah and it's a so the the transition you know like you know we had this conversation offline like i i told my dad at the, the san francisco airport prior to leaving i was like you know i'm gonna sort my shit out you know i had a degree i lived a dual life in California, particularly by the time I left, I was, you know, you'd come to my house to buy drugs, but there was a big business degree on the wall. Like I was just warped. Okay. Like in my yeah. mind, I, you know, like there was this real duality going on, you know? And, um, so I'd done a business degree in a really good school, um, in San Francisco. Um, uh, but by night I was operating on a different level, um, in the tenderloin there and running around crazy. And, um, so I told my dad, look, I, I knew how to, I knew I had enough self-belief and enough um like polish to know i could put it together okay. right and so i did come to australia told my dad i would change got drunk the whole plane ride landed in australia immediately moved to an, another state like the next day and within two months i had a job i was in sales um <laughs> and it was like i couldn't even make an egg Right. Like I, I was completely unskilled in living. My mom was calling me to make sure I was waking up from my job. But like <laughs> it was like I, I had never lived like this. Right. And there was no way to go back to selling drugs because I had no, um, uh, you know, like connections there. And I didn't want right. to do that. Right. My drinking got really bad. And okay. what made it worse was that because I was now operating within the normal structure of life the hangovers like were really bad. Like before I didn't have to cope with that because I could sleep all day or whatever. Now I'm operating within expectations of normal people in normal society. Right. And, um, I, I, I ended up moving and, and so things got really bad. Um, and I guess the culmination of, um, with being in Australia around 18 months, I got three DUIs okay. and I was facing another, uh, a situation potentially going to uh, a jail or prison, particularly here in Victoria, they take it very seriously. And I hit, it was at that moment when I realized, um, at this kind of out of body experience where 
I just saw everything for what it was and I could no longer deal. Like I couldn't, I, I just knew that if I went to jail, I couldn't look at I, I, like how my mom and dad would feel that I left Australia. They couldn't see me there anymore just to come here and ha now have to come and see me locked up here. Right. And the thought of that brought me to my knees. Um, I could know, I know I no longer had the um, ability to face these kind of consequences anymore. Like I just did not have it in me. So I made a decision to go to AA, which I've been okay. to before. Um, and I made a decision that irrespective of whether I went to jail or not, I think this was the biggest decision I made that irrespective of whether I was going to get sentenced to jail, I'd go in there sober. I would not drink until then. Okay. And, and I think that was the first time I made a decision based on principle, like irrespective of, before I would have just got continued to get drunk and be like, well, you know, it, you know, in four weeks I've got court, I'm just going to get hammered and, and be in denial and whatever happens happens. But like, right. I wanted to be sober for those four weeks. Cause I wanted to, 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 to just what, for whatever reason, I wanted to feel like I was going to change. And so I went into AA, but something else instrumental happened. Um, at the same time, I was a sales rep uh, for a, a privately owned company that was quite dynamic and this um and was a natural teacher had a um unique ability to to teach he he'd set up the grad program in this firm i was in okay he was young he lived in san francisco which was ironic because that's where i'm from he loved san francisco right. he was moving across as um into the more into the business development from CFO space. And um, I got drunk um, one night. Um, and uh, this is prior to me making the decision to, to stop. Like this is all culminated around the same time. And I had quit at 5 a.m. Just ran recently a text, sent him a text message. I don't know why. Right. And we had caught up and um, and I told him my whole story. And I think I was crying out for help. I think the reason I sent him this text message at five in the morning drunk was I knew what kind of person he was. Um, and we caught up and, and, uh, and uh, we had a coffee and I told him my whole story, like everything. And he said to me and without, you know, I paraphrase that like, you've got something special. Like there's something within you. Cause like I was very, I had a lot of ability mm -hmm. Um but I was burning out because I had no skill. Right. And he's, and he basically said to me, like, if you let me, if you let me um, kind of take you under my wing for like the next year or year or two, um, I'll help you become successful. That's what I paraphrase. Gotcha. And so it was at that moment. And I've got this court stuff going on that I made that decision that, okay, I'm at a rock bottom. I can no longer drink. It's no longer an option. But then someone's presented me a better alternative. That was the key. Like he's right. prevent. He, he, I had now an, an alternative identity to work towards. Right, one that was more right. positive and successful. And that was it. That was it. That was. I was on my way after that. That was. Um, that was the beginning. Nice. Well, kudos for you reaching out, even if it was in a drunken state at five a.m., crying out for help, pouring it out to to someone that was equipped and had the ability to see your 
greatness inside or, or those things that, that you brought to the table that he admired and knew that you deep down had inside and then, you know, making that switch. So, okay. You, you, you went to AA, got sober. Yeah. What's, what's the next steps. And then how, how did you pull from that, build ultra habits, do what you're yeah. doing now? Yeah. So we, uh, we built that firm. We grew over a hundred percent that year. Um, that, that company's just sold for 300 million. Um, and, uh, I then became a competitor of them. And so him and I became competitors. I became a partner in my own firm and we competed. Um, and, uh, I've just exited that firm, uh, okay. literally last week. Um, and so I started to do my own thing. Um, and it, I, I became very good at that craft and I, I, I continued, um, I, I realized the process of getting sober was so hard and so transformational. It was a crucible. It was, a, it was an external event that forced me to grow. So I started to create them. So from there, I went and did a, um, an MBA, executive MBA at the toughest program uh, here in Australia. It was a four-year slog upon, on top of working. Um, okay. And that was transformational. Um, I then had a child, which we know children are transformational. My wife asked me to do nothing for six months. I started ultra running after that six months. That was the next crucible. So then it was okay. a focus on going from the mind to the physical. And after uh, about three years of ultra running, that's when Ultra Habits was born. And Ultra Habits was a culmination of everything. My love of business, my love of ultra running, my uh, what I learned through sobriety. So this whole mind, body, spirit connection, and it culminated into ultra habits. And um, what I had realized by this point that I'd always been a servant to habits, even when I was addicted, I am very much in love with the process, but the process can be killing me. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, or it can be enhancing me. Right. Yeah. So that was how ultra habits was born and uh, ultra habits is like i'm not a life coach or an executive coach i would consider myself a facilitator like a like a, uh almost a um an educator mm -hmm. right like i like you i have I'm, I'm an interested practitioner and curiosity guides me with these conversations and in, in studying research and i then facilitate that information to the world um so that that's that's where and how ultra habits got started um you know i I still very much run. Um, uh, I live in the in the mountains. Uh, trail running is a part of who I am. You know, I've been sober a long time. I help other alcoholics. I help other addicts. Um, I have a love for business. I now go into businesses and help them improve their habits to grow. So there's mm -hmm. also organizations have habits as well, right? So, right. Um, yeah, so all this at Ultra Habits is a culmination of just my experience, right? That's to your original question of like, how does experience serve us and how do you make the connections to help you move towards where you, your true North? Yep. No, I, I love that. And so let, let's bring up the, the alcohol piece just because something to give you a little backstory. I mean, I, yep. I think there's a large part of society that might not be the alcoholic per se, but is a abuser on the weekends, right? They're, they're the weekend warrior where they're, they're pounding Fridays and Saturdays. And that was me in my late teens in college really bad. And then followed my twenties and thirties. And this year I finally had 
enough where I said, I'm, I'm not going to have a sip of alcohol for the entire year. And it, it's been transformational for me just to not have any of that in my system. I mean, you talk about mental, the mental side of things, but I feel like it's so pervasive in society. It's, it's like, we're different now because we don't drink where everybody, you know, what is it? I forget the number percentage of people that actually, you know, have drinks every, every week. Uh, it's just interesting. What, what do you think about that, that piece and how, yeah, it, keeps, I, I, how, it, how it keeps people stuck, right? Because yeah. you're, that, that's a habit, right? That, that you're doing it every weekend. Yeah. I, and I recently wrote an article in Forbes about that, but more in the context of organizational performance okay. or like, how does a party hard work hard culture really impact? And, and even within the best cultures, like at, at, after a Christmas party, there's always drama. Someone's always right. done some dumb shit, said some dumb right. shit, t- touched somebody inappropriately. Like it's just always yep. there. I, I feel like even if you're not an alcoholic um, and you know, like, one has to self-diagnose, particularly between a hard drinker and alcoholic. I would say it's about how you feel. And after that, like I know people that drink hard, but don't have the guilt, shame and remorse the next day. Mm-hmm. I think that what is distinguishing an alcoholic is they in their heart know they're enslaved. Mm-hmm. And when you've lost a choice, you go into a deep depression over that. And you feel that the next day in the form of guilt, shame and remorse I've got friends that drink hard and tomorrow's another day. Like they literally feel like shit, but they take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Now their performance is impacted, but performance is not their highest value. Right. So like, it's about your value. Like you cannot, in my view, have your highest value is optimization or, or, uh, sorry, uh, you know, your high, if your highest value is performance, um, alcohol should be cut out of, your repertoire um because particularly as you get older you've got seven days a week you get pissed on saturday or sunday you are subpar probably till wednesday so you've already lost you've already lost three days of the five-day work week and so if you're telling me that you're performance orientated but you're particularly binge drinking which could be worse because it's like you almost make up for the fact you're not drinking you know, on a daily basis, a couple beers here and there, right? You're not performance orientated. And I think that more people like as men, uh, we need to take a stand, mm-hmm. you know, like, and the more um, examples out there, of people like you and myself, people that are crushing it and whatever, or taking a stand and are willing to go against the crowd. Um, I don't care what anyone says, the, the herd respects that. A lot of people are worried about what the herd would say if they get ostracized. Well, people going to ostracize you. They're not your fucking friends. Who right. cares? Yep. <laughs> they're fair weather friends, right? Like, yep. And I think there's a deep sense of um, satisfaction in taking a stand for what you believe in, irrespective of what the feedback is, right? Um, so that's just my view. I, I, I have people say, well, could you drink? Well, maybe. But would I be living in, a, um, in an optimized way? No, certainly not, because I would never just have a beer anyway. That's just not my style. I'd be hammered and sick for two days out of the five, right? Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, if you're you're looking to operate at the highest level, peak performance, optimize your life, that's really the deep question last year around this time I asked myself, and I said, what is that kryptonite? What's something that I can cut out to 
do it. And oh, man, I, I'll tell you what, I mean, 11 months into the year, I mean, I've kicked ass physically, mentally this year that I quite honestly haven't in the last 26 years with alcohol involved in my, in my life. So it's been, been pretty, pretty eye-opening for me. And I, I love how you said, take a stand, right? Because when so many people are unhappy, depressed, society, stressed, anxious, quiet, desperation, but they're all going down that same path and they're doing those things. That's where you, myself, we all need to provide visibility that there's a different way and you can choose different and you can choose to step into the greatest version of yourself for sure. Like, mate, well said. And, and like, you, bang, that's bang on. And I think like life is difficult enough from a psychological perspective. We don't need to compound that with alcohol. Right. Right. Like, you know, like I've been sober a long time now, like maybe 13 years or something. And like, and I still have, um, you know, my, my own battles and my own demons, my psychological conditions. Like if I were to put alcohol on that, I'm exacerbating its fuel to the right. fire, man. Like you, right. you, you've got to, you know, we being a human is complex mm -hmm. because of the psychology piece. We're not animals. Like we, we reason, we interpret, we, we, we hurt, we, we have all these complex functions going on psychologically and you add alcohol to that, remove even the physical stuff. Like we just can't navigate life effectively. We can't parent to the best of our ability. We can't husband or wife to the best of our ability. It's just not possible in my view. No, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I, I heard something the other day and you mentioned science earlier, like average adult has 60,000 thoughts. 80 to 90% of those are negative. 95% yeah. of those negatives are repetitive. And imagine yeah. adding a little alcohol or a little That's something it. else to it. You're, you, you are fighting a losing battle and you don't understand the impact it's having on you on a daily basis for sure. Yeah, 100%. Love it. So what are a couple things you can share <laughs> with the audience you love doing on a daily basis? Maybe they're stuck in a rut. What's one way to one or two ways to get out yeah. and then we'll uh, wrap up. Yeah. Um, I move my body uh, every day. I have to. Um, I think the physical element exercise is basic, but, but real. And, and we need to, we need to do that. Um, developing the power of reflection. So journaling um, uh, some people may be, you know, they they can't sit with themselves yet. It's too hard to meditate maybe the time or whatever, but like, Reflection, I think, is important. You know, reviewing your day mm -hmm. to see how you are traveling and how you can improve your conduct. And I would say the third thing is um, creating um, good habits in the morning and so a program. So, like, really, I won't tell you to wake up at five or six or seven a.m. because it's based on your when you sleep and right. and your work schedule. But I think having a real solid program to face your day. And in, so your day is enthroned upon you is very important. So be intentional the night before as to how you're going to be, um, go about your day. And, and that really starts in the morning, having a program. So I'd say those three things, move your body, journal, reflect, and, and have your shit together in the morning. I love it. I love those three things. I practice them and, and you're spot on there. RJ, where can, uh, where can people find you if they want to look you up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, www.ultrahabits.co that's co website everything is there man awesome rj thank you so much for your time and being on the show thank you so much man thank you jeff
Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have an amazing, amazing rest of your day. Rise, fight, love, repeat. Get after it. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to your Hidden Edge podcast. You are now part of the movement, part of a tribe who's on a mission to uncover their hidden edge. We are stronger together. So please share this. Show up with one person in your network that you want to help. Together, we can empower others and connected, we can make a dent in the universe.